Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Stu Heineke is today's guest on the Business of You. Stu is an author, he owns an agency, and he's been a speaker for many years. His latest book is called How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, A Complete Strategy for Unstoppable Growth. And in today's episode of the podcast, you'll be hearing all about Stu's analogy and how it relates to weed growing. He'll also share his framework, which involves scaling your business. Stu is a Hall of Fame nominated marketer. And he is also a Wall Street Journal cartoonist. He shares his fascination with weeds on this episode and how anyone can grow their business into something resilient and unstoppable. I will tell you, warning, you'll never look at the weeds in your garden again in the same way after listening to today's episode of The Business of You. Stu, welcome to the Business of You. It's so great to have you on the show today. How are you? Uh, thank you so much for for having me on. And uh, great, I'm just I'm glad I'm happy to be talking with you. Well, I know we're going to talk about weeds, and what a perfect time of year to do that, right? As we're approaching, <laughs> as we're in spring, approaching spring, it'll be a pervasive part of our uh, of what we see. They're starting to pop out where I am. I don't know where you are, but they're starting to pop out already. Uh, not quite yet here, but soon. Um, so would love to hear about your background. I think you've got a really fascinating background. You, you are a cartoonist as well. You've done some real fascinating things. So can you take us back to the early stew days and, and what your childhood was like and how you navigated through college to launch the business that you have today? Sure. Um, well, yeah, I do have a crazy background because, um, uh, oh, I don't know if I should say it. Well, my brothers and I used to sneak Playboys out of my father's dresser drawers. <laughs> and, and so, you know, when we were 10 or so, and and we'd, of course, we read the articles. Of course. About, you didn't look at the pictures, Playboy. right? <laughs> That's right. So, um, but one of the things I noticed was the cartoons. They're just, they were so good. They were just incredible. And I don't know if you know a lot of the cartoonists, let's say from The New Yorker or I mean, if I said Gahan Wilson or Eldon Dadini, I don't know if those names mean anything, but but um, they they both had full page, full color cartoons in in every issue of of Playboy, and and they were incredible. I mean, the artwork was incredible. And I was just you know, my kid as I'm a as a kid, I'm thinking, who are these guys? How do they do this? I mean, like, are they? I don't know. As a kid, I'm thinking, are they elves or what? They're like they must be not be human. They but how do they do this? And um, so. 
Uh, now, fast forward quite a, quite a ways. I had a, a marketing degree from USC. Uh, I, I set out on my own to start creating direct mail campaigns, but I was also a cartoonist by then, and I was already published by then. Um, and I was a member of the Cartoonist Guild, and which is now defunct, but the Cartoonist Guild sent an article that said, uh, it was from Folio Magazine. I don't know if you know the magazine, but a magazine for people who, who produce and, and publish magazines. And it said that cartoons are almost always the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. And I took all that to heart and I thought, okay, I'm going to start creating direct mail campaigns with personalized, with personalization in the cartoons, but with cartoons. So, because if they're getting that kind of response in publications, they'll get a great response in the mail. And, um, and they did. And I, I ended up getting a, a two, two quick uh, test campaigns, one for Rolling Stone, the other for Bon Appetit. Both of them beat their controls, meaning they 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 blew out the, the most effective thing they'd ever put in the mail before. They they beat it. And, and okay, that's my chance to um to reach out to the rest of the publishing industry. And so I I needed to reach about 20 like two dozen people, something like that. So there these are circulation directors or directors of of, of consumer marketing at the big Manhattan-based media companies, including one that we have in common, the Wall Street Journal. But um, so Condé Nast and Time Inc. and so on. And and I, I reached out with this little campaign and um, the little eight by 10 cartoon personalized to each recipient, told them this is the device I just used to beat the controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. We should put this to the test for your titles. And I usually tell this story when we're talking about my earlier book, uh, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, because this this little campaign, I spent about $100 on it, and um, and it opened every everybody that I sent it to responded. So that's 100% response rate, which is not supposed to happen. And and then all of them all of them agreed to meet. That was a hundred percent meeting rate, and all of them became clients. So that's a hundred percent conversion rate. Wow, that's my amazing! First contact marketing campaign, mm -hmm. and and so that launched me into the publishing industry. And I was creating direct mail campaigns with these personalized cartoons. And very quickly, I realized, yes, I'm I'm creating campaigns for them, but what I'm really creating are new unfair advantages, and that plays really really directly into the into the, the book I think we're gonna talk about mostly today, which is how to grow your business like a weed. And one of the things that weeds do is they 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 never do anything without an unfair advantage. So unfair advantages show up in a big way in the, in the weeds, <laughs> if this makes any sense, but in the weeds growth model, there is a model. They do, they do, uh, they, they all adhere to the same model actually to grow. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, while I was doing this, all of that, as that story unfolded, I ended up pulling in a lot of the the cartoonists, for example, Gahan Wilson and Eldon Nadini from the, the from Playboy, but also a lot of the great cartoonists from the New Yorker into my agency. And so um, I'd hang out with them. I worked with them a lot. I'd go to New York and hang out with them and all that. And what I ended up doing was being mentored by this group of the, the like the best cartoonists in the world. So I've had this really interesting sort of pathway to to writing books and and creating campaigns for uh, for a lot of marketers that set a lot of records and and and, the, and the, at the same time provided unfair advantages to all of them. Mm -hmm. What do you define as an unfair advantage? Well, I would say it's it's um, yeah, it's not really unfair. It's just that's the way I would like our competitors to refer to it and think of it. And and so they're really they're unsurmountable or insurmountable 
competitive advantages by our competitors, that is. So, um, gosh, you know, a great example of that would be um, Elon Musk and his, I mean, I just love watching his process. He's total. he is a total weed, by the way, he's just totally, he, he acts exactly like a weed. You can't stop him. <laughs> and, um, and so you, if, when we watch that process of, of creating that the Falcon booster system that's used all the time and it goes up and deposits cargo into space and comes back down and lands where it, where it took off. That, that wasn't happening before Elon. And, and because he's, he was able to do that because he was able to perfect that his launches cost a lot less than any other launch companies um, uh, pricing. So um, he, he made the, he made access for to space a lot less expensive. And and so it, who competes with them? I mean, Ariane's space, I think they're just, there are state um, sponsored space programs that compete with them, but they all use disposable boosters, which means their their costs are much, much higher. I think his boosters have been, been used as many as, I don't know, 10 or 12 times now and some, I mean, I'm sure they're building new ones, but they they get to reuse them, and and that changed the um, changed the picture completely. So that's an that's a great example of an unfair advantage. Yeah, yeah. What inspired you to analyze the weed and project that into your your latest model, your latest well, you framework? Know, yeah, I mean, I, a long time ago, I was driving down the freeway, and I. It was in LA. I was driving the Santa Monica freeway, and there's six lanes going one way, or six lanes coming the other way. A lot of, a lot of rushing tires, and 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 then a 40 foot wide concrete. It's all concrete as well, but the median down the down the middle, and and really, it's just it's no place for a plant to take take root. But they're growing from a crack in the concrete. I, I noticed this dandelion. Now, I, this is something we see all the time. We see it everywhere. They do this everywhere. That's how they act. But that one time, it really just struck me. How on earth did it get? How is it pull? How did it get there? How is it pulling this off? And and um, what makes weeds so special? Why why aren't? I mean, there there aren't apple trees or, or petunias growing out of those cracks in in the concrete in the middle of freeways. So what is it about weeds that makes them so hardy, so unique, and so so special? And I I wondered is there a is there a unified model that they use? And if there is. Is it something that we can use in our businesses? And it turns out there is a model. And I think it's the theory of everything about growing anything. So that's that's where it all comes from. That that led to eventually writing how to grow your business like a weed. What was your next step after you had this this lightning bolt of inspiration watching these weeds grow through the cracks? How did you go from this concept to then projecting it into a book and creating a book? What was your process like? It took a long time. But from that drive, I was I was just thinking that's that's so incredible. How do I live up to that example in my own business? Because I was a young man just starting my own business, and how do I live up to that? And I, I so I had been it had been ruminating for quite a while, and um, uh, and then I then there came a point where I said I need to write a book about this, and uh, so then I started this. That was a lot of fun at the interviews and the people I, I chose to interview were it was a, it was an interesting mix of people because the first person I interviewed was a was a master gardener. I needed to know what are weeds? I mean, what what exactly are they? Is it a species? Of course, it's not. It's a lot of species, but is it a plant, a class of plant? You know, you know what it is? It's just it's just plants that are that are 
really that we we derm that we sorry that we deem as being pests. That's it. They don't they don't conform to what we want them to conform to. Petunias do it, and, and apple trees do it, and rose bushes do it, and so on. But but these weeds they're too wild. They're too um, expansive to um, to to settle for. I don't know, staying staying away from our gardens and just. You know, they, they don't they don't behave the way we want them to. And so it's really just kind of a pejorative term. It's just it's kind of like you, you, you a-hole. <laughs> That's what it kind of what it, it's kind of like that in, in the plant world. So so there is no there's no species. But so that was my first interview. The second one was I traveled to Dallas and I met with T. Boone Pickens. So I, for those who don't remember, I think your audience will remember. But anyway, he was, I think he was the original corporate raider and he was, he, his, he had a fascinating story. He's a billionaire. I think the, I think the television show Dallas was based on him. JR, was he JR? Yeah, he was JR. Uh -huh. Yeah, or JR was him. And, and so, um, and he was in, he was just in the news constantly because he was constantly out making runs at his target were, his targets were always oil companies, but he was out to take them over. And oh my God, this guy was just brilliant and and just just crafty as a fox. So even if they even if he'd go after a, a company and he didn't acquire it, the the um, the thing is the thing was that he knew that in all these cases that the stock was undervalued for these companies. That's that's what that's what made them a target for takeover. And so even when he just made this run at the stock and he had investors behind him and they so they're all um, they're all. Co cooperate. They're all, they're all um, collaborating to perhaps um, take over Phillips sixty six or uh, or Unical or Occidental Occidental Petroleum and so on. Um, even if they didn't, even if they didn't, if it became known that they were making a, a play for their for for ownership or control of the of the company, the stock prices would suddenly shoot up. And so, even if he didn't. Even if they didn't get the company, and a lot of times they failed at, at getting the companies, they made hundreds of millions of dollars just because they were making a run at the stock, and then the stock price went up. And and um, he just he thought in ways that were just really really interesting because I think we mostly think in terms of how do we get a share of the market? What's you know I mean that's a term market share. But how do we get just a little sliver sliver of the market? But he was thinking in terms of getting the whole market and cornering entire markets. And he did it. He would do that. So um, then from there, just a lot of I just interviewed a lot of really interesting people who had all experts and um, uh, business personalities. One of my favorites was Kathy Ireland. Um, Kathy's brilliant. It's incredible to talk to her. And um, and then. The model, yeah, but she's also now she's a she's a branding icon, and she I mean she's just she has a huge branding um, branding company, and um, and she's just brilliant at it. And um, so, um, few people from the CIA that was interesting. I've, that I talked to John Mendez, who uh, was head of disguise for the CIA. <laughs> that was interesting because I'm thinking maybe weeds maybe weeds use disguises a little bit. I mean, like they don't use disguises, but. They they do well. They do in a way. They they learn or they adapt to really adapt quickly. And so there was one. There's one weed that it's a grass that grows in Southeast Asia. And, uh, it it mimics rice and it it grows in rice paddies. And it over over the course of a hundred years, it used to look different. And then it 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 
it came to well, I'll say that it came to imitate rice the, the rice plant, but really, what it was selective weeding probably that caused that. I mean, it's probably a, a mankind that did it, but but eventually it it became indistinguishable from rice. So, but it's another it's another species. It's a, it's just a weed species. I mean, you know, it's showing up where it's not wanted, so it's a weed. Um, but it 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 um, it adapted to um, to the conditions. Pretty quickly, I would say. I mean, weeds are millions of years old, so adapting over the course of a hundred years to change its appearance is pretty amazing. And that is kind of like you know, think about that in in the business world. How do we adapt to things that are disruptions? And we just went through that with the pandemic. We may be about to go through it again with a recession. I mean, recessions are kind of like breathing in and out. So how do we how do we do that? How do we pull that off? It's the same thing that I was. That, that same inspiration when I was driving down the freeway and just thought, how do I live up to that example of growing from a crack in the concrete and making it work? Yeah, it's so true. I, it's such a, I'm going to look, I'm never going to look at weeds the same after this conversation. That's for sure. You're going to love them in your neighbor's yard, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a very specific model to scaling a business that mimics the lifespan of a weed. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think to describe weeds, uh, they we got to look at what they do or how they how they just how they operate. And so they they always deal with what is. They never do anything without an unfair advantage. They never do anything alone. It's always at scale. They always focus on what makes them win, and they thrive best in disrupted ground. And so all of those statements suggest something in, about the models. One, that's the first one, they deal with what is. We we have a really hard time, as hum, I mean, as humans, we have a really hard time dealing with what is. Look at our society. We're not dealing with what is at all. And, and we're dealing with all kinds of other things because we let all of these emotions get in our way. And I think if weeds could talk to us, they'd say, you know, we noticed that you have this thing called emotions. We don't have them. They don't get in our way. They just run their process like a computer runs a program. So, and they do it though with a with a fierce mindset. And so it's urgent and, and resilient and and um, aggressive and optimistic. And so they 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 would tell us that you know you probably these these emotions seem to get in your way all the time. You would probably do well to let your your actions lead your emotions rather than your emotions leading your actions. And you know, we can recognize that in ourselves. If we feel down, it changes the way we act, changes what we do, changes what we think we could do. But if you go out, let's say, and work out in the mornings, if you go to the gym in the morning, you'll come out going, oh my God, I feel great. This feels fantastic. So you might not have even felt like going to the gym, but after having done it, you are optimistic and ready to go. You're just charged up. And, and I think that's that's one lesson that I think the weeds would offer us. Um, they, they never do anything without an unfair advantage. And we just talked about Elon's unfair advantage. And, and, and um, you know, I, I, you mentioned, or you were asking about how I'm applying it to my business. And so I have some really interesting unfair advantages. I mentioned the cartooning. I'm one of the cartoonists from the Wall Street Journal. Um, that's if when I need to, and I, if I need to introduce myself that way, that's that's a big, that's a great. Well, who's going to do that? I mean, who can do that? There's not a lot of people in the world who can say hi. I'm I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, and I'm sending a print of a cartoon of one of my cartoons about your boss to an assistant. They'll be, they'll be going, what really? So so there is that unfair advantage when my cartoons. And I've I've not been active with the journal for a while, but um, when they appear in the Wall Street Journal, I think the readership is still 2.1 million. I don't I don't know what it is now, but it, that's what it had been. 
Um, I have books out that, you know, they go around the world and they change people's lives. And I gain a reputation from that, that I wouldn't have gained otherwise. And um, yeah, they, 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 but I think the, the biggest ones are, um, they, they come from the next, that next portion of what I just described Weed's doing, which is that they never, that they never do anything alone. They're always, they're natural collaborators. And, and so I think if, they, again, if they could speak to us, they would tell us, if you want to grow, you need to team, you need to team up with the smartest people, you know, as fast as you can. Um, and, and so I'm doing that. I'm, I'm teaming up with the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. We're going to launch a new award called the Total Weed Award. And that's just, that's, that will, um, I mean, and it comes from my books. That's a good thing for the book, I'm sure. And, um, and, and then I'm also teaming up with, I know a lot of authors and, and great thought leaders and so on. We're, we're teaming up to, um, to launch these weekend growth summits in bucket list locations, small groups, like 10 or 10 or 12 people, something like that. And we're doing it in bucket list locations. So Bora Bora and um, I, I, perhaps Morocco, I don't, I don't know, or Iceland, the Blue Lagoon, perhaps there. And um uh, but th they're showing up in these really interesting pl uh, places and um, teaming up with a, a magazine um, publisher, a book publisher, a Broadway producer, a former um, Royal Marine commando. All of these people, though, are also they're also very active in the business space. And so they're, they've got great, very strong um, IP in the, in the business space. So we're, we, we'll be combining really, really in, in some very, very interesting ways. And, and people will walk out of those sessions with personalized growth uh, plans to, to grow like a weed. So all of this, the thing is though, that allows me to team up with people who have client bases that I don't have otherwise. So that's what causes the weed like growth. Yeah. And when I'm, when I'm teaming up with NASDAQ, with, with the entrepreneurial center, um, I'm giving them, I mean, you have to give back benefits. You don't just take them, you don't just take them. So, uh, so I'm giving them some great benefits with, with this award. It's they're going to get recurring attention every, every spring as the weeds come out too. Um, and, um, so we give them a new, a new sponsorship vehicle. There's a lot of really interesting things that, that this brings to the NASDAQ entrepreneurial center. But one of the things that I get from it is that we're going to be teaming up with, with a, a media sponsor, our media partner in the, in the business media. I don't know who yet, but we're about to start pitching that. And, um, I think one big, great unfair advantage is that suddenly, um, I don't, you know, uh, CNBC and Inc. and and uh, Fast Company and and Forbes, et cetera, are all going to be hearing from from an arm of Nasdaq about this award, and and they're going to be saying that's great, that's really cute. Um, where does it come from? Well, it comes from this book. Oh, do we know anything about this book? So suddenly, Nasdaq is presenting my book in 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 essence to these same um, media outlets that my publicist was pub was was um, presenting it to. Um, when it launched last year. And, you know, just when I there are a lot of publicists out there, there's not a lot of NASDAQs out there. Yes, so true. So, so true. Just we're, we're creating unfair advantages for, for each other through these collaborations. And that's what's really, really exciting. And going back to those growth summits, um, some of the authors, I know a lot of a lot of the top sales authors and sales, sales is, uh, I don't, it's not non-strategic, if, if I can say it that way. But but um, but it isn't it isn't the growth strategy. But what it is is fuel for growth. You can't grow without sales, of course. 
And so, uh, so it gives, so just teaming up, um, weed strategy, that weed strategy model gives a growth, a really the, uh, a critical growth framework to what they do. And it's, I'm finding that it, it just fits with all kinds of, of, um, of, of, of business, um, business was really business to business applications or specialties. They all fit within, within this model because, because everything we're doing is about either. Well, I know that you, I, I hope you don't mind my mentioning that you run a branding oh, as no, well. And, yeah. And so, so what are you doing, but giving your clients new unfair advantages, a stronger brand? Yeah, right? absolutely. It all fits into that model quite, quite neatly. Mm -hmm. Question for you. So this, if we take this NASDAQ partnership, and this is part of the weed strategy, I'm assuming that is do things together, right? Did you come up with this concept of the weed award in approach NASDAQ? Yes. Okay. I mentioned it in the book. Uh, I said, you know, I don't quite remember what I said <laughs> yeah, that's I okay. a while ago, but, but basically we're going to start this new award, um, the total weed award, and it's going to, it's, it'll exist. It'll be iconoclastic. It, it'll be, it's not going to be the usual awards. Uh, we're we're going to have really a lot of fun with, with these awards. They're going to be a little bit, a little bit off the, not off the wall, just, just um, weed like. Unique, yeah, yeah, weed like. They're they're you know weeds are unapologetic. They just show up and they they take over, and and so I want to recognize that among entrepreneurs and startups and and other businesses, and and so. Um, we just have some great descriptors of unscrupulous and I don't know what else they're all kinds of the most unscrupulous market ed- entry or I can't remember now quite what we how we how we worded them because because they're pretty recent but um but they're they're just gonna be fun awards to give out and um and I, I know that that uh well I've been calling you know when I talk to people and I and I'm hearing what they're doing I I get so impressed and I'm saying you know you're a total weed and they're going man what an <laughs> honor thank you so much for <laughs> I'm a total weed <laughs> so I think it'll be a lot of fun to do that um on a on a more uh, formal basis or or more I don't just uh, more institutionalized basis calling people total weeds and they'll be they'll be thrilled <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a it's a brilliant idea actually cuz think of, you know, the reputation and the brand recognitions that the that Nasdaq has and the the one thing I'm going to be keeping my eye on is to see what you're naming these awards um because they will likely need some sort of a positive spin, right? Because you want the weed award to be synonymous with the positive concept of your company. Well, it is positive, but we, what we want to recognize is that we want to recognize, especially startups that show up and they disrupt, but I don't want to use the word disruption. It's overused. Clayton Christensen had, Clayton Christensen has that word. And uh, although he's not with us anymore and he wrote an, an amazing book and, and certainly we, as entrepreneurs, we talk about disruption all the time. So I didn't want to talk about the most disruptive technology or you know anything like that. It's just, you won't even hear it. So it's more like I'm re- we want to recognize this just this pirate like ethos of being a weed and but being a weed as an entrepreneur. And and so um so the awards will be they'll be they'll, I don't even want to call them tongue in cheek. You'll you'll say um you know <laughs> the most just the most unscrupulous um market takeover or something. God, I wish I had them out in front of me because we've written them out and uh, and they're they're really cool. Oh, uh, awesome. Um, we'll keep an eye out for them. Be, I mean, if you win one, you'll be you'll be saying, okay, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I'm gonna Oh good. I'm getting that. on your radar. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> 
Have you always been self-employed, Stu? Um, no, no. I, I started out. Um, I had a couple of jobs after after graduation from from USC, and um, and and then you know what I quickly realized was I, my my final one. I mean, so I worked for a couple of years probably just like two years. And um, as my final position was marketing manager. And I discovered that when I went out on my own, I was laid off. And I thought, I don't think I want to look for a job. I want to just print up my own cards, start up my own company, and I'll sell as a service what I was doing before to, 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 my, to my employer's competitors. I knew exactly who they were. And I discovered that really quickly, I, I doubled my income just by getting one of those one of those accounts. And you realize if you're if you're employed, well, of course you're not being paid what you're worth to the company. Otherwise, it's that they're not they don't hire you to break even. So you, I, I realize that I'm you know I'm just much better off running my own business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've how what was for someone listening to this at scaling and growing their company outside of reading your book, right? Um, both books actually, because I think both both, both are brilliant are books. Really helpful, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But how did you grow? What so you started? You had these, you know, you basically worked with the competitors from your old role. Um, but then, what was your next thing? And how did you keep the cartoonist aspect of your work so vibrant too? Because how did you mesh things together? That's one of the challenges I hear people talk about the most. Is I love to do different things, but I don't want to sound frenetic when I'm trying to position myself. And I, well, I, I think I'm you sure don't. I feel <laughs> I, I know I, I sound that way too. No, no. Like cartooning and, and, and growth strategy. What is that? But <laughs> but the thing is, it does all fit together. So um, at at the uh, at my, my last comp at that that final that I worked for, I was producing a, a weekly direct mail campaign. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to start sticking cartoons into it, find out what happens. And people loved it. And so, um, so it was, it's a, you know, laid off, got, got a few quick clients. And, but I knew that what I really wanted to do was work with the magazine publishers. And you heard the story already. So I reached out and I said, you know, look, I know, I, I know that, um, I, I knew that John, I'm sorry, David Ogilvy the the, the uh, very very famous marketer and advertiser founder of Ogilvy and Mather, one of the top ten agencies in the world, um, that he used to say that that humor doesn't work in advertising. People don't buy from clowns. He had all kinds of ways of expressing it, expressing it. But basically, he was saying, "Don't use humor; it doesn't work." And so, all of his acolytes, all of his um, followers, said the same thing from stages at at trade shows for for marketing. And but I I, I reached out to a few people that I that I, I had found out about, well, there were circulation directors. So John Skipper at, at Rolling Stone and and um, Jan, I can't remember Jan's last name, but at, at Bon Appetit. And I said, you know, I think we should put this to the, I still think we should test this because cartoons are, you know, readership surveys are saying they're the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. So we, we've got to try this. I mean, you know, your mail shows up in a stack of other mailings, other other pieces. Don't you want it to stand out? And don't you want people to say, oh, what's this? And, and open up the envelope and get in. And and so just the first two assignments I'd gotten in that just just stepping into the publishing arena. And that's I really that was my aspiration was I wanted to I wanted to step into in publishing. I wanted to work with publishers. And so those two assignments, those two test campaigns that I created for Rolling Stone and and Bon Appetit 
beat their controls. What, what that means is it set new records for response, like all time records for response. And, and you married, you married your I married skill set. together. It's like, I have to marry cartooning with, with marketing. That's what makes sense. That's what that became my, my unfair advantage. And I think, I think, you know, when, when your audience is wondering, well, how do I fit these things together? Um, I think they should think about it a little, a little differently because the fact that I'm, a, I, I became one of the wall street journal cartoonists, the fact that I was mentored by all those great cartoonists, the fact that I, that I accumulated, eventually accumulated this unmatched body of, of test history of using cartoons in direct marketing. I mean, nobody else could match this. They, I got, had a lot of people try to imitate what I was doing, but nobody could match it. Wasn't that an unfair advantage? I mean, that's the definition of, that's like Elon and, and his Falcon boosters. He's doing things that nobody else could. And that's what I was doing. So I think those, those things that make unique, you, those things that make you uniquely you are the things that can be layered together in very interesting ways and give you completely unfair advantages because no one else can match it. So it's actually not a thing to apologize for or feel badly about. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. And every once in a while, I, I work with people who are worried about showing or giving their intellectual property away. And I always say to them, there, nobody can replicate what you do because your schooling, your experience, everything. And to your point about the, the cartoons, people tried to copy you, but they couldn't get the same results because there's still the stew the stew sauce, right? That's there. They didn't there. have any idea what they were doing. They saw that I, they saw these, these mailings and they thought, great idea. Thank you much. Thank you very much for that. But otherwise, then they would just do these, these just ham fisted things that, you know, they'd grow, they'd have cartoons drawn and, and it's silly things like, you know, there's a caption, but neither of the characters in the, in the drawing had their mouths open. So who was talking? Like, right, well, you know, that right, doesn't even right. make sense. And, <laughs> but I mean, you know, the fact that I, that I mentor, that I was mentored by all these great cartoonists, how do you match that? That plus, you know, working with, when I was working with the magazines, the magazine publishers, they were the most sophisticated users of direct marketing at the time. So, um, so when you tested, but they were, they were constantly testing new test campaigns. That's what, that's how I made a living was creating those. But um, as we, as we felt our way along, we realized, okay, well, you know, clients at first were saying we have to have our our brand somehow injected into the cartoon, which kind of creates Geico like, mm. um, do you know what I'm talking? Yeah. I'm not yes. being complimentary to Geico. Their stuff is not funny because it's always about their brand. It's stupid. It causes us to roll our eyes when we see it. And so, um, so when, when the clients would insist that their logo get put on, let's say a tchotchke on the desk in somewhere in a cartoon scene or, or on a building showing through a window out there and in, in, in the New York skyline, that kind of thing. I, I very quickly realized from the test history that no, you don't do that. This isn't about you. It isn't about your brand. This cartoon is about the recipient and it's about something that they really identify with. So, you know, as opposed to, let's say putting the, a uh, your uh, the the company's logo on a building um there was there was one campaign that we did for outdoor life magazine and um we we uh we used two cartoons we tested two cartoons i'm just going to describe the one that won so it's for outdoor life magazine and and it showed these two fishermen on a dock and one of them's holding tackle and the other one's holding you know so the, the tackle bait box all this stuff the other one's holding this huge fish in his arms 
and the one with the tackless thing that looks like the one that that Rachel Gogos threw back. So you know, if you were if you were a fishing aficionado, you'd be going, "Yeah, that's me. That's exactly that's right." And and, and so we ended up doubling their 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 uh, the response that they were getting to their previous control. And that's a big deal. Usually, when, when we're testing and we go up against controls, we might if we won. I mean, like if you tie it, you've just tied the record for for response. So, but if you win, usually it was by, you know, just a fraction of like a few percentage points. Um, So to double the response was dramatic. And what happened there? Well, the cartoons did what they do. They they showed up in the, in whatever, whatever stack of mail they got that day, those cartoons made that piece really stand out. They looked at it, they realized, okay, the cartoons about me, but oh, look what it's saying. And that's, that's really cool. And in fact, we offered um, eight by 10 prints of those with their, with their paid order. So we also set records with, uh, on, on payment with order, but, but notice though, that we're not saying anything about we weren't saying anything about the, the discount that you'd get when you subscribe, because that's always, you know, save 70% off the newsstand price was the offer. So there's nothing like that in the cartoon. There was no mention of outdoor life or the magazine or anything. It was just about you being a great fisherman, mm. fishing person. So fascinating. Yeah. So no. fascinating. They, we so we learned psychology. all kinds of stuff like that, that the imitators couldn't, they didn't, they didn't understand. And so that was all an unfair advantage and the weeds would totally approve. Interesting. So interesting. Yeah. The psychology behind that is, uh, is so right. I mean, it's really speaking to the ego of the person and that's what's getting them to react, which. Absolutely. I know mindset is something that really is, is behind great business owners too. And it's again, for me, the psychology mindset piece is something in my later years as a business owner that I'm paying far more attention to because now I see the impact of that. But what what do you have to share around mindset and how does it tie into your um, weed framework in terms of especially resilience in this day and age that we're living in? Well, you know, mindset, it ends up being I, I, I regret using the word or the term mindset because it's so overused. It's, we don't hear it anymore. It's just a, an overused word. But but if you think about it, your mindset is or your determination. I just, we'll call it the mindset anyway. That's sort of a little nuclear reactor a power plant inside of you that the powers whatever it is that you want to make happen ha- happen and without it without you pushing it it doesn't happen nothing happens for you know nothing happens long so when i say mu- weed mindset i'm thinking a lot of people are going oh you mean like a bunch of guys smoking dubs and <laughs> no not that but but really and you know you think about i'm applying the the term mindset to something that has no brain is is an odd thing. But I guess we could say that weeds certainly have a collective intelligence. There's something about them that's incredibly clever and intelligent and and just right on the money. It's they're they're really buttoned up actually, but that's why they grow so well. I mean it's and so so feverishly. So um the thing is that I I when you observe weeds, you can see that they're they're aggressive, they're urgent, um they're they're um they're resilient. They bounce back. They they just if you cut them down, they come right back. Um, they're adaptive. They um, uh, they and I would say they're even optimistic because again, we're, I'm aspiring. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm ascribing something to them that is probably not. They don't have these these emotions. They just that's just in their nature to act that way or to function that way. But 
but they function in a way that we would when we're feeling optimistic. When we're optimistic, we can't wait to get things done. When we're when we're feeling depressed, it's a it's just an inward or a downward spiral, and we can't get anything done. So, so I would say they're even optimistic, and probably the biggest, <clears throat> the biggest, um, or certainly one of those, one of those des descriptors has to be that they're also just natural collaborators. They're incredible collaborators, and we talked about that a little bit already. But but that's certainly in their in in their nature and in their mindset. And they're always looking for ways. Let's say they're not always looking for ways. It's just built in that they, I mean, if you see a dandelion in your lawn, look up, you'll see there are dozens at least, if not hundreds. And you, when you factor or when you just consider that, that they, um, they produce an average of 15,000 seeds over their lifetimes, they're about five to 10 year lifetime. They're pumping a lot of seeds out in your lawn. You're not going to get rid of them. You, you can't get rid of them. And it's, if it was just one dandelion showing up, you'd get rid of it easily, but but one of them, you're not going to get rid of them. It's just it's very difficult to to eradicate them, um, and and that is all. That all speaks to a mindset that we need to have as entrepreneurs. You know, we want our competitors saying we can't get rid of them. You know, right. or how do we right. compete with this? You know, how do we do this? That's exactly what we want to do. When you when you watch how dandelions, I mean, going back to the dandelion that showed up in the crack in the concrete, and and you know that we, we know because we've seen it our whole lives that they blow these, these, these seeds fly around and they probe every possible opportunity to take root. And that's also a great descriptor of an entrepreneur. We need to be weed-like. And it's, and it's that, it's just that, um, again, a, sort of an unfortunate term in a way, because it's so overused, but it's that mindset that we have to have. And without it, I mean, that's, that is the, that's the engine that drives everything in our in our careers and in our businesses it's our vision and our our determination our you know persistence and, and so forth it just you're doing it aggressively and urgent urgently and um having a vision that we share with other that becomes infectious I, all of those things come from from uh, from mindset yes so true speaking of vision i'm glad you brought that up what do you see on your horizon as ways to continue to grow and expand your business and keep it resilient other than the radical collaborations and the growth summits that I know you're going to launch in the near future too? Well, I, I, I will, um, I, I'm looking to turn, um, turn this into a consulting franchise. Mm, I think okay. that would make a lot of sense, but it's always going to be that, that's still just um, branching out from, from one-to-one -one leverage, one-to-one uh, -one leverage is it's necessary. It, we we're all, we we're taught to to be um, self-reliant. <clears throat> I mean, that's why we go to school. That's why we everything we're doing in our in our upbringing teaches us to become self-reliant. Um, you 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 go to school, you get good grades, you get 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 into a great college. Maybe you go on to a, a graduate program, but eventually you're going on. You're going to get a good job, but you can't scale jobs. You can't have a thousand of them. So. Um, so that's sort of the, the end of the, uh, the end of, I mean, one-to-one -one leverage is great. And, and your audience of entrepreneurs, I'm sure they all can relate to this. Entrepreneurs are some of the most well, resilient and, 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 um, resourceful people on the planet. That's why we are entrepreneurs. I mean, that's why we're doing this, but, but there's also, I'm sure they'll also relate to the fact that we also get in our way really easily. And when we insist on doing everything or hoarding everything, not sharing, it, not not collaborating, um, then we limit. We're we're the 
we limit our growth and we become the bottleneck to our growth. So we have to we have to find ways to move beyond one to one leverage. And that, that in the weeds model, it's you you go from that to multi level or multi channel uh, leverage, which is what I'm doing by teaming up with those great thought leaders and, and entrepreneurs and and authors. Um, and then you move then to collective scale. So it's that, that scale that you see when you see hundreds of dandelions in your lawn, they, because that's how they, they work. They don't, they always work at scale and that's what we need to do. So there will be products that, um, that may stem from some of the things that I'm doing. And, um, I'm look, always looking for ways to, to collaborate and, and do it in a radical way. So I love that, that, that will continue. Excellent. That's so good. Stu, thank you so much for all your insight and for sharing your weed framework. Aside from buying the book, right, which which is available everywhere books are available, where is the best place for people to learn more about you and learn about the growth summits when those are available and and um, ways oh. to hire you as a speaker, too, because I know you speak. In, yeah. In- yeah. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, um, you can you can join. I'd love to have you come to my website. So my author site is stuheinick.com. And I think that'll be spelled out in the notes. Yes, um, absolutely. So stuheinick.com. Um, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. Mention that you heard me on, on Rachel's um, podcast, and I'd love to connect with you. If you mentioned you also bought the book and read it, I'd love to connect with you as well. I mean, that's a great way to get a hold of any author, I think. Um, if you if you register at my site, if you go to my site, please register and get into my into my um, email list, and that's how you're going to find out a lot about about these upcoming um, summits. God, they're going to be a blast! I can't wait. Oh, to they wait. sound amazing. They're they're just going to be unbelievable. We keep we keep sort of programming. How do we get more adventure into these? And so one of them might be on a cruise to Antarctica. I don't know. It's just going to be. We're going to make them as wild as possible. But ultimately, it's about we're going to everyone should walk away from this saying, I know exactly how I'm going to grow my business like a weed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's brilliant. I love the way you're expanding the model and um, introducing it into new ways and through new ways, you know, through new venues. So it's brilliant. And congratulations. By the Mm -hmm. way, keep keep noticing the weeds. I think when you go outside after listening to this or watching this. (laughs) You'll notice weeds in a different way. And and then you'll notice that they show, you probably have already noticed that they show up every year. So it'll be renewed every year. We can all become total weeds. <laughs> totally. I won't be so frustrated with them in my garden after this conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.